This is Adam Lightman Bailey, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. This is Jennifer Rodarte with Compass, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Hey, this is Lane Johnson representing Compass and Aspen, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. Hello, this is Steve, and we're with Weidler Brothers of Compass in the D.C. metro area, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. This is Naomi Klein representing the Compass office in Beverly Hills, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. What up, everybody? This is Chef Jack Harris of the uh, Talk Team Podcast. This is Jade with the Jessica Northrup team from Denver, Colorado, and you are listening to The Real Talk Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk. As you guys have been seeing, I've been interviewing and getting people on my podcast across the nation from Newport Beach, California, LA, Denver, Colorado, Chicago, Philly, Boston. And today I'm excited to bring on my friend. I've known him for a very long time. I'm actually very honored to have him come on. Uh, He's a guy that I've looked up to since I was very young in my real estate career. I have Mr. Chris Okada. Uh, Chris is a commercial real estate agent in New York City. Uh, He started his own firm in 2005 all by himself. Uh, He had spent his life savings in, in in creating his own agency, uh, Chris rose to dis- distinction from during the financial crisis of 2009, and it's a recovery by using the market's lowered state to transact nearly $1 billion in commercial real estate sales and leasing transactions in Midtown and downtown Manhattan. In 2011, Chris founded the Okada Acquisition Company to begin acquiring prime office retail and multifamily properties in the Midtown in Midtown South submarkets of Manhattan. His acquisitions include a prime office building in the Herald Square section of Midtown, a brand new luxury condominium development known as 432 West 52nd Street. Our dear friend Scott Sobel is a resident there. And a few other office and retail properties like 894 Avenue Americas, uh, 148 West 24th Street, and the retail at 135 West 52nd Street. You can follow Chris at Chris Okada, that's Chris, O-K-A-D-A, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where he is most active. He's got a very interesting Instagram account, which features a lot of real estate memes, motivational videos, (laughs) best business practices, all of it. He's also on LinkedIn at Christopher Okada. So Chris, thanks for coming on and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. What an intro. Do you give everyone this intro? That's, that's a quite <laughs> a, a quite a feat there. I do a little research. I do a little okay, research. Okay, great. You know, awesome. uh, it's especially when my guests agree. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll, everybody's busy. You're you're a busy man. You own your own company. You have your own brokers. You have your own retail properties and and, and real estate properties. That you have to look after. So I know you're busy, so I do do a little bit of research. So, Chris, before we jump in, sure. Uh, you know, I, I always found your family to be very unique. And this becomes a little personal, but unique and aligned with my family, where you may know and have seen that real estate or Japanese business people that immigrated to the United States in the 80s and 90s, they're usually almost always temporary, meaning they like their culture back home. Uh, Japan Japan in the 80s and 90s was a very booming market. It was a very stable market. And Japanese people love safety. Yeah. Just by uh, cultural nature. Yes. So while I grew up with a lot of families 
from Japan that moved to the United States, uh, whether they worked for the banks, uh, World Bank, uh, United Nations, newspapers, or maybe even the diplomatic um, consulates, they always tend to want to go back after three, four, five years. Sure. They don't stay. Yeah. Uh, I find your family very interesting that it's one of the only few Japanese families I know in the United States that decided to stay and raise their family, their kids in the United States rather than take them back to, uh, rush them back to Japan where the education system is drastically different between middle school going into high school. So, sure. you know, I, I want to ask you a little bit about that first. What made your family sure. want to stay and raise you in the United States as opposed yeah. to going to I love this story and I and I love uh the background of that and our on our shared heritage. Um so my family, my my mom and my father, my father's no longer with us. He passed away years ago. Yeah. But he uh he was born in the last year of World War II. Okay. So let's think about Japan, World War II uh, and my mom was born, you know, about five, six years after World War II was finished. And think about Tokyo with, uh, I mean, it was desolate. And, um, and Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, you got to think about what Japan looked like after World War II. It, basically, you know, a lot of the uh, people in the, in, the, in the U.S. Army, they would say, uh, you know, Japan, someone lit a match, put kerosene all over Japan and just lit it on fire. That's what ha that was Japan in the 40s and in the 50s. And then uh, the U.S. came and occupied and really helped them rise to distinction economically in the 60s and in the 50s, 60s and 70s, using it as a, a air base uh, during the Korean American War. So my parents' come up was not glamorous at all. And it was really tough. Uh, even if you were, a, if your mother or father was a banker or middle-class, it wasn't the way we consider bankers and teachers today. It was much more, um, you know, post-World War II. So when my father emigrated here, it was in the late sixties and my mom in the mid seventies. So, um, where they were growing up, it was just a lot tougher. In the 80s and the 90s, it was a go-go years for the yeah. Japanese, right? But they experienced the go-go years of the Japanese market in New York City. So they, you know, emerged from uh, a really tough post-World War II scenario, and, that, and they were born into that. And so for their experience, uh, the go-go years was actually in New York city in America. Right. And there was no globalization in the seventies. Nope. Uh, there was no internet. Uh, I think maybe there was no fax machine. I'm not sure. Everything, <laughs> you know, everything was mail and yeah, maybe yeah. there was a fax machine, but I'm not sure. There was no technology and uh, each country was capsulated by itself. So I think that them seeing that, instead of them being born maybe in the 70s or, you know, and, and having 30 years past World War II versus right. the last year and, the, and five years after World War II where 
you know, food was tough, uh, basic needs, you got to rebuild, everyone is sad, you know, um, we lost the world war, not we, Japan lost the world war, um, you know, and that's a very different psychology. So I think when they came here, it was the land, it was still the land of the opportunity, right? It was the land of the free. Um, and luckily it happened. I mean, Japanese and Japanese Americans have such a tough, tough history because had my dad been, uh, born in the U S, uh, instead of in Japan in 1944, 1945, he would have been born incarcerated in the concentration yeah. camps. Yeah. So it was just about the time where it was still, there was still a lot of romance right. uh, from the Japanese perspective of coming to the U S. Whereas if I was third generation, it would have been like, Oh, my dad was, you know, or, you know, the land was taken. It's such a complicated history. I could go and talk about the history. <laughs> of the I, I love this subject. Yeah. Uh, and I only recently learned about all of this in my thirties. Like I didn't, you know, I wasn't paying any attention to the history of this in my twenties or in my early, I didn't care. Well, didn't I, care. Thought I didn't care, but yeah, but uh, you didn't it, care, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that you were really curious about. Yes. And, and, and that's the same as me, same as me as well. I, my parents came a little bit later than your parents. Uh, and it was a, it was a totally different, it was a totally different uh, mentality of you're right. The Japanese immigrating here in the eighties and nineties, because those were indeed what you said. They, they were the go-go years. Yeah. Money was easier. Business was booming and yeah. the economy was great there. So uh, the mentality is definitely, definitely different. I, I would say that uh, what made your parents want to stay here? Did they initially come here just to, just to come here and work a few years um, and then maybe go back? Or did they decide to just come here and, and stay here and not move back permanently? My, well, my mom and my dad are both not the traditional, they're traditional Japanese, but my mom growing up, post-World War II Tokyo, in her, even in her teenage and early 20s, she knew that she was just, it was just not an easy upbringing for her. Right, sure. And the minute she met my dad and they, they met in Tokyo when he was on a business trip, uh, actually, no, he was visiting his family, his mom and my grandma on my dad's side. I was like, you need to meet this girl. <laughs> and he met her and... Basically, you know, that's how the story began. They met, they started talking and he's, she's just, and my dad was like, come to America, you know, come to America. Cause, uh, and she did. <laughs> so people, be, I mean, I don't know what it would be like if you were to meet a Japanese woman in Tokyo today and you would hang out for a few weeks and then you would just text her and being like you should come to america yeah no it doesn't and, work and, and like i don't know how easy it would be for her to jump on a plane and say peace out tokyo i'm out you know <laughs> yeah uh whereas my mom was all about it she wanted a, she wanted a new life uh and again i think it was the allure of new york city and the land and america and and the movies and the uh and the streets are paved with gold paved with gold <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the beaches are beaches beaches are filled with diamonds diamond beaches and um so yeah the 70s were very different 
than the Why did your dad want to come to the U.S. in the first place? I mean, was it... Well, he was born... His story is so wild. It's... It'll... He was born... uh, And a little bit... He was born actually in a Chinese concentration camp. Wow. And uh, it was originally a Japanese... You could edit some of this out if you want. (laughs) A Japanese uh, concentration camp that got turned over after the world was world war two was ended and then took the Japanese civilians because of occupation sure. and put the, and reverse the role. Reversed it. And then now the, uh, the Chinese were controlling it, but it was guarded by Russians. Wow. Because Russians came in. It's, it's, it's a very interesting story. So my dad, you know, growing up in, uh, he, he was born in Manchuria, China. Okay. You know, yeah. uh, and they were part of the Salvation Army. Uh-huh. And so the thesis and the philosophy of Salvation Army is your garbage, what you consider garbage is someone else's life, like safety. Sure. Like, you know, so you drop off all your used stuff for the Salvation Army. Um, but it's, 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 there's no financial uh, gain no. in the Salvation Army. You're very no. of the earth. It's a Christian upbringing. And... Uh, he he tasted his first success here in New York City, and he absolutely believed. And then he rose to distinction, um, like no one, like no other person I've I've seen. You know, uh, and once you hit those levels and you're living the high life, I mean, you're going to go back. You know, to Japan. going back to Japan is like he left there at 23 years old and he made all his money in his 30s and 40s. So by the time you've made all your money, you ain't coming back. You ain't coming back. You know, because what, what is there to come back to? You know, your teenage, your, your, your college dorm, you know, your college house. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you could, but uh, after he made money, I think it was that was it. And then the race was on. Um, so that's why my mom was rebellious. My father made money and you can't be rebellious in Japan. Once you, once you, once you become American and you become that independent thinker, it's hard to go back into the systemized system of society. It's very difficult. It is. That's, that's good to know. So that gives the audience a little bit more about your background and your last name. Uh, let's pivot a little bit. Uh, fast Great. forward to your uh, professional, young professional career. You know, your, your dad was a broker, so you worked for his brokerage when you first started, correct? And I, I read about your first deal, which I love. It was a multifamily residential deal. The yeah. building owner had cancer, but he didn't tell you until he was about to pass, or I guess he passed. Yeah. And luckily, the deal still closed for you, uh, and, and the commission that you got was $71,400, half of which your dad took. Yeah. <laughs> he could have given you a better split if it was your family, but I guess he still took 50% of it. Uh, but, you know, that was cool. That's, it's a really cool story uh, in the early 2000s yeah. where entry-level positions were only $35,000 per annum. You know, you couldn't even get an interview at these jobs. And two years later, you know, that basically is, it amounts to basically, you know, all the work that you did to close that deal amounts to basically you're even with society at the time. So that's a really interesting uh, fact about, you know, your very first deal. You know, what made you get into real estate and and what was it like, you know, those, those, in those early years? Sure. 
for you. So for, for your viewers and, and for my viewers that are watching this, um, that are younger, you know, you, when you go to college, you, you graduate with a degree. I graduate with finance. Yeah. Unfortunately, just like now with this whole black swan economy, uh, you can never, you, you, by the way, you never could have seen this coming. No. Uh, people, economists, you could say that, oh, we expected it, but no way no. do we know it would be this way. Okay. Um, so you, I entered shortly uh, in 2002, the, the job market. Right. We, New York City was still recovering from 9-11, which was basically Q3 of yeah. 20, 2001. So six months after, uh, I, I started looking for jobs two, three months after 9-11. No one's hiring. Right. No one's hiring. I wanted to get into banking. Uh, but, you know, so I would tell, you know, tell my family this. And I and, uh, graduated in May. I still from January to May, five months of submitting resumes, submitting, making calls, trying the best that I can, going to career development uh, center at, at school. No one still would. I couldn't get an interview. Right. It, and, and the response was, I'm so sorry. We just fired 10,000 first year, uh, you know, front men, front line men and analysts yep. and entry level people. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sorry, we're not, we're just closing our window. And the, and the workforce environment, you know, I, I graduated from State University of New York and I got, I, I graduated with honors, but obviously you're going to First go, if you can, you're going to go to the Ivy Leaguers. Sure. You know, that's just how it is. You know, yeah. you're going to go to Harvard, the Ivy Yale, Brown first, Princeton first. You're going to go to yeah. all of them first Yeah. in finance and see the talent that you can get at the salary requirements that yeah. is of society, yep. right? Uh, State University of New York, I love it, but... You know, where does that fit in? And unfortunately, it did matter back then. It may not matter now. And so uh, my dad was just like, get your real estate license and come work. And actually, my first deal was a small office lease. That's it was right, a thousand uh, square feet. It was like, I don't know, 1,500 square foot yeah. office lease. I made, I think I made like $5,000. And my dad gave me, uh, you know, the split was like, he took 60% because it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dad, you can't give me half. I did. I, and he's like, I gave you the lead. You know, <laughs> I was like, all right. And so, you know, um, but I was very, very grateful. And it's really about that mentorship um, that was really important. But I had no choice. Yeah. I had no choice. Yeah. You know, I, you know, no one was hiring and I didn't want to go back to the retail job that I had during college, which was like working at the gap, working at the frame shop, you know, working at, right. you know, I didn't want to do that. Right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but I just felt like I spent four years for this degree and I should try to get some kind of professional uh, job. So what was your mentality like, you know, the first two years in the business? Did you have a, you know, no plan B type mentality or were you like, oh, maybe I'll no, I had plan A, plan B plans because I entered with this being plan B. Right. So plan B was my plan, became my plan A. But yeah. back then I really, um, I was very young and I was still in the mode of like happy hours, having yeah. fun, going yeah. out. 
that was still extremely important. It's still important now, right? Yeah, it's still important now. But, like, it was really important back then, even though none of my friends, you know, were making money and everyone was entry level and we all had college debt and credit card debt and car loan. We were just, you know, um, and, uh, but those were some amazing times. So the first couple of years was sort of like me doing what I had to do as it was a job. Yeah. It wasn't a career. It wasn't my career. I, I, I came in at 10, 11. I left at three or four. And I used to get yelled at, but I was rebellious and I didn't, you know. So, and, but I, I really wanted to, after working for several months, uh, a year even, after I did the townhouse sale, uh, I still wasn't committed to doing real estate full-time and that was after a couple of years okay i wanted to get into music i was a dj i wanted to get into fashion so i did i did that i quit real estate after like 18 months or after i closed that deal uh and i went into fashion and it was a salaried position okay like forty thousand dollars and i was very very appreciative of that stability yeah uh, and I was at that job for eight, seven, eight months, and I got into a huge fight with my boss Interesting. at the time in, in fashion. Because in fashion, they love – it's very different. Real estate, you deal with sharks, and you deal with all kinds of crazy personalities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. fashion, you deal with everyone like rips on each other, and it's all based on – not all fashion, let me say that. But this environment that I was in was like everyone uh, was not, it was not as cutthroat, but it was a lot of plastic. It was everyone was fake and they would judge you based on your shirt (laughs) or your (laughs) shoes or even guys. Like, I'd be like, all right, you know, like, okay, so, you know, you don't have the best shoes, you know, and then you get ripped on. Uh, And and it was like. It was not a great environment for me. Real estate is a tough environment. Who knew fashion was even tougher? <laughs> fashion is another beast of its own. It's it's very uh, it's all high pressure. It's still New York City. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's several layers of um, presentation that go way above and beyond uh, commercial real estate or residential. So you were like, like, forget this. You got in a huge fight. I got in a huge fight. I popped an account from Calvin Klein. I'm preparing, uh, you know, because people, I was the only suit in real estate. Oh, I wore okay. a suit, like suit and tie. Okay. And I looked like a banker. Yeah. Just That's what I knew. And, but people would, my competition were like t-shirt and jeans, whereas I would bring the professionalism and they're like, okay, this kid is out of place, but I could see that he cares about the professionalism. So the suit and tie uh, no one did that in fashion. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so I popped Calvin Klein and for some reason in real estate, they'd be like, great, you got the exclusive congrats. The real work begins, but congratulations. And you feel good in that environment. I got Calvin Klein. I got like, you didn't do the deal until they bought in bulk. Right. Right. But you got them in the door. It's the exclusive and they're going to give you a shot on one line or one concept that they had for outerwear. And I got shitted on 
by my boss. And I was like, what the strange, why are you yelling at me? I just brought got the deal. Yeah. You, know? you got the deal. You know, we still have work to do, which we're doing, but it was over something petty. And I just, I just, right then and there, I still, I still remember in the bullpen and I, and he's yelling at me and there's something about being yelled at in, in front of your peers. That's unacceptable. Like people do it in the workplace behind closed doors, but yeah. Praise in front and then, and then discipline him back. Yeah, absolutely. And don't embarrass your, your guys. Don't embarrass your, your junior associates. There's no need for that. Put him aside. And, you know, at times, you know, when the pressure is high, you may do that, but he did that in front of everyone. Yeah, that sucks. And I, I immediately stood up and was like, don't you dare. I quit in front of everyone (laughs) And I felt the gasp because it was a Japanese fashion company. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a Japanese fashion company. So everyone was like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I still remember. (laughs) (laughs) You felt the gasp. And because everyone gets in line. Everyone gets in line. And I was like, I quit. And he didn't believe me. And then I was like, I don't care. I quit. And I stormed out of there. Keep your pay. Keep the client. <laughs> uh, and and then um, and then and then that was it. I went back every time. My father and real estate always. It was always there for me as a fallback. Good. Good. And then, eventually, um, I checked off all the things. I I loved music. I went into music, and it was the same thing. Uh, I loved the people. The culture was so chill. But people weren't living the life financially that I really wanted to. And music, even even back then, because that was when streaming services and stuff was kind yeah, of starting to go CDs. Yeah, it was still. You know, uh, Apple was moving and shaking. Yeah, but uh, it was there was no Spotify. Right. Um, no, Napster was maybe like on the verge. yeah getting there. Right. Um, but uh, still, a lot of it was tangible music. Right. Uh, and, and I loved it. And it was an incredible experience. I got to meet some, some great people in jazz, people in hip hop, um, you know, met some of the Wu-Tang clan. It was just so much fun, but behind the scenes, behind all the glamor, behind all the photography, behind all the hype people in the music industry that are not superstars that are not, it's up and coming. Yeah, the gap of the 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 haves and haves nots is is like unlike anything I've seen. Okay. Um and I love these people and they're there because they're passionate about music. But unfortunately, they, you know, uh no one was getting what I felt and they were in their 40s and 50s and they love what they do, but and that's when I was like, all right, my time here is also done. Time is up. And so that's what- when that's when I went full head. What know? year was that? Was that around 2008 when you went? I was like 04. 04, okay. So that was when the market was still pretty good. Yeah. It was on the rise. And I guess it peaked around 2007. So I guess this, this kind of pivots into our next topic. Yeah. You, know, you really kind of made your mark in the industry when you sold during the downturn. Yeah. During the depression, right? So 2008. Yeah. Uh, how, how did you do that? I mean, what was your 
awake was that like your awakening into your career as a, a real estate professional and yeah. uh you know what was that my, like? honestly my awakening in real estate was uh when i went off on my own and okay. my father was like hey i want to send me retire i've been doing this for decades I just don't want to do the rat race. Right. But his company um, at the time, we had so many, not disagreements, but I'm just a different generation than sure. him. Yeah, yeah. So I was really about, I was more about being tech forward. Um, I really wanted to do things. I didn't want necessarily his staff and his brokers. And he had a big office on Madison, uh, Madison Avenue and uh, it just wasn't, um, I didn't want that liability because right. I, you know, it was 20, 24, 25 at the time. And uh, in the summer of 2005, that's when I struck out on my own. And it was um, scary. Uh, it was very scary. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't have much to lose. Sure. And I spoke to Barbara Corcoran. I spoke to my mom. I spoke to CB Richard people, CB Richard Ellis. What was her advice? Her advice, I she goes, and my mom is was in residential, and she was very prominent in yeah. the eighties and nineties. Um, still is. She's retired now, but <laughs> her license is still with Douglas Solomon. Yeah, yeah. I think she celebrated 41 years. I mean, it's just like it real estate, you could do this forever. Like you forever. may not want to, but you can. No one's going to force you to retire, which is great. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so uh, Barbara Corcoran was basically, she had just sold uh, Corcoran. Uh, no, no, she had sold years ago, but yeah. she was still involved. Yeah. And... I told her I read your book. I love it. My mom told me uh, that I should reach out to you. And she knew my mom. And um, her advice was like, call uh, the CEO. And I forgot if it was Pam Lieber. I forget who. She's like, call the president. Let them know that we spoke. Uh, and I would love to have you in the Corcoran group. Oh, but wow. I, she tried to recruit you. <laughs> it was more of like, hey, I, what, what are you guys doing? I'm transitioning in my career, which, you know, but it, it was more or less um, we would love to have you and call the CEO. And I, I never really took it past that. Uh, but the thing with my mom was, I, you know, I told my mom, like, Barbara Corkin just said you were a legend. That was like, it wasn't about like finding the job. That was like giving my mom for the first time uh, in my mid twenties, like my mom praise because wow. regardless of you could be Jay-Z Beyonce's children, but for the children, it's mom and dad. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, you could be, you know, Elon Musk's newest baby, which I can't pronounce the name, but you know, yeah. <laughs> Uh, for them, it's, he's dad. It's not Elon. It's a different. So that was the first time in my 20s. I was like, mom, you're a legend. And then she goes, yes, I'm a legend. <laughs> I'll never <laughs> forget. Who knew you are a big deal? Yeah. I never thought that. I just thought she was tough, tough time mom, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I said, you know what? I'm going on my own. And that's when it was. It was all in, and this is what I'm doing, and this is what you focus on 24-7. 
No more coming in at 11. No more. Once you put, once you put the gun to your head and I only had six months of, of runway of money. Right. right. Uh, I, I did get an office uh, myself. It was cheap. It was like 2,500 a month. I was living at home still. Okay. Uh, so it was a very different time. Uh, how many square feet was that office? Uh, it was like a thousand feet. It wasn't, it was wasn't still pretty sizable. Yeah. 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 It was still nice. Um, and, uh, and that was it, but that's when it started flowing and, okay. and I was doing apartment rentals. I was doing sales because I was trying to do what I thought worked back then. Right. And, uh, one by one, it just wound up being like my office, the demand for office in affordable uh, parts of child, affordable parts of the fashion district in Bryant Park was just emerging. That was where so Chelsea was just emerging and uh, the garment center and fashion district. Right. Uh, okay. And so that's when it just took off. And then 08 was really, uh, but I wasn't as scared in 08 as I am today. That's the truth because yeah. 08, you could go to the office and fight. Right. Right. Pick up the phone at the office. Start hammering you have your people. the office. Right. You have the camaraderie. Everyone, let's do this. Everyone pick up the phone. Everyone do this. Now you got to do it at Zoom. You got to do a Zoom call for the team meetings once a week or once every few weeks. I mean, you could do it daily. Some people do it daily. But for me, the actual office space was really, really important for me going to the office you know, having them, seeing the people, being like, are you making your, you got to do it. You gotta. I love what you said recently on your Instagram post. You said that the camaraderie of the bullpen cannot be replicated. It's very tough. And people right now are saying, well, now we know how to work from home. You know, my sister works for Facebook. They announced everybody working from home for the rest of the year. Twitter, same thing, right? They can work for the rest of the year. They can work from home for the rest of the year. It, but to me, I'm on the same boat as you. You cannot replicate the culture inside the bullpen. It's very tough. It's very tough. Very tough. So, so I, I guess this leads to our next topic: is the downturn of two thousand eight is not is when you made your money. Yeah. Or a lot of it was in two thousand eight. I mean, the, these two downturns they don't really compare, do they? Uh, there are comparisons as far as. Um, I think this is longer yeah. than the, 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 the problem is this is longer than the pain that we felt in 08. Right. Um, it was a crash, boom, it's down. And it was a six month thing. Right. Uh, Lehman, September, bottom of the market, March. Right. Uh, 2009. Right. Then it was time to rebuild. Right. I don't know. Let's see how we are. Because it's March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Is September going to be the March 09? Or are we going to have, is it going to be a W? Right. If it's a W, that's emotionally, mentally, physically, financially going to be devastating for the, the country. Austin. You know, if we see, if we start all over again and it's March 1 in September 1, or March 15th and September 15th, then we got to start all over again. And that double whammy is, is the devastation that I am trying to, uh, and, and here we are dealing with death. 
before we're dealing with financial wherewithal, but the essential workers, the delivery men, the deliver the pizza delivery guys, the um, well, pizza's still open, but all those people and look at the unemployment statistics. We're almost at 40 million. Whereas at the peak, we were at 14 million. That's right. That's right. So this is uh, unemployment wise, I would say, you know, is it three times as bad? Maybe. We'll see. And uh, it's also, you know, different types of unemployment, right? Because in 2008, the unemployment was largely in the finance, banking, housing okay. sector, uh, consulting sector. You know, big fives were, were hit. Uh, Merrill Lynch went down. It's just a lot of different, uh, Barclay Capitals went down, just different types of human capital as opposed to this downturn is, you know, a lot of it is retail, restaurant related, uh, food food services related, entertainment, hospitality related. Uh, You know, it's a different type of unemployment, but you're right. It it is 4X, 3.5X, 4X what it was in 2008. So I think the long-term effects is still kind of waiting to be seen as yeah. far as that unemployment is concerned. But I guess my question to you is, you know, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on, you know, what's going to happen in the future? Is it a W-shaped recovery? Is it an L-shaped recovery? Is it a V-shaped recovery? All right. So, so the L-shaped thing, that gave me a panic attack. All right. <laughs> uh, the, okay. So when, when we're talking about recovery, yes. Dan Pena or whatever, uh, yeah. this guy, Dan yeah. Pena. And he goes, that's it. You, whatever money you have, it's gone. <laughs> it's All awesome. right. Your house is worth nothing. It's over. Yeah. Is worth nothing. Okay. That's, that's extreme. Dr. Doom, okay. chill out. Let's relax. Let's go outside. Life is, it's sunny <laughs> out in New York. <laughs> a beautiful day. We're still alive. The background is beautiful. Yeah. Look, look at New York City. Nothing has changed except there's no people here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> look at the background. Everything's going to be fine. All, um, the rich, all the rich New Yorkers just bought homes in Connecticut. Yeah. Is that, is that the tra- uh, There's an interesting trend. Uh, Long Island, Westchester. Yeah, they, they, they've migrated out. All the rich, a lot of the rich people migrated out and bought homes out there. Interesting. I'm, in, I'm going to look into that. Hope, I want to see some uh, Q2 statistics in a few months, you know, yeah. find out. Uh, there's if there an was. article on the real deal out yesterday about how Connecticut, there's a, a tidal wave of, of buyers coming in and buying up, you know, the primaries of Connecticut, the waterfront, yeah. cities, the Hartfords, you know, the new Canaan, um, areas like that. So, yeah. So what do you think is going to happen? Is it, is it recovery? I hope, I hope it's sort of like, a slow recovery back, but you know, the W is, is for me, that's very, the L is just like, all right, calm down. All right. What are you trying to do? You're trying to give us an heart attack. All right. <laughs> um, but, uh, the W uh, recovery is also scary. If, if we see New Yorkers or the nation start seeing, uh, well, New York's at its peak saw 800 deaths a day in just one state. If that goes back now, we're under a hundred you know, and there's an emotional quotient that's one and one correlated with the economy of grieving, sadness. Like we don't, I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. So I hope, I don't know about a V-shaped recovery. People are saying that. Uh, I, I, I think that maybe 
maybe it's a V shape, but I think it's going to take longer than the stock market is 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 attributing to us today. Like a very wide V shape is what you're saying. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, a wide, you know. Um, and as far as real estate is concerned, I I think for uh, a lot of our followers, I I there's still business being done. A friend of mine just got an exclusive. It's obviously in the smaller, you know, like if sure. you can get an exclusive 500,000, there's no ego anymore. A $500,000 exclusive, a $5,000 rental exclusive, 4,000, you got to pay the bills. Whatever you, work, you can get. That whatever mentality. you can get. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first and foremost. Some people will say, no, this is the, 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 the middle and the large. I don't think the middle and large uh, markets, uh, uh, as far as the over in commercial, sure, the over $10 million to the $100 million, there's not a lot of movement going on. Yeah, okay. there's not a lot of sales going on in the one in the 10 to $100 million range or the $100 million to the billion dollars. There's nothing going on everyone is just chilling out holding but the under five million dollar market there's business happening and in residential you bet your ass you get a a, a you know a three hundred thousand dollar exclusive that'll move that's not going to just stand there. now who who wants to do a three hundred thousand dollar exclusive the people that need to make the money right or there's the- no more it's a volume business you got to do the rentals uh, and everything is done virtually. Everything is being done virtually. So you have to have your 3D uh, walkthroughs. You have to have your uh, videos up. You have to have your pictures up. And it'll take a little bit longer. But the first thing that's going to come back without a question is the rentals. If you have a $2,000 a month rental or an 1800 a month rental, people will sign that site on scene. They'll sign that virtually, Okay. Right. So that's, that's already <laughs> happening. They'll do that. Yeah. They'll sign it, you know? What, um, about, what about in your market? What about the office leasing? Uh, office leasing, buildings? you know, uh, already at the peak of the market in some of our spaces, we were getting $65 to $70 a foot. Uh, there's no shame in saying that we can do leases in the mid 40s. Wow. So statistically wise. That's a significant jump because the enemy is vacancy, not low rents. Right. You know, and that's when, thankfully, the conservative underwriting um, that was taking place in 2011, 2012, You know, if you bought office with expectations of $65, $70 a foot and you took 65% LTV yeah. and, or 70% or 80%, that's going to be a tough a tough situation right. because the old school landlords know, you know, and have the room if they have very little debt to be like, it's 45 bucks, get rid of it. You know, our vacancy went from 5%, you know, 95% full. And now we're at 80, maybe 75% just because people don't need that office. It's we're We're, we're going to meet the market fast. Some people will say, wait, you never know. You know, why sign a five-year lease now? Why sign a 10-year lease now with 20, 25% discounted rents, 30% discounted rents? Why? Because vacancy is the enemy. Right. You know? So do you think that most landlords that were getting $100 a foot, $90 a foot, the Class A buildings, 
Do you think that there will be a big drop? The hundred dollars foot will now be going for seventy dollars. Do you think there there will be a big you know? 20 I think so. Price per I think with it's it's economics one hundred and one supply and demand. Right. Right. The first things that people are going to look at are the glut and the millions of square feet of sublease space can, that are going to happen. Sure. There's definitely going to be, you know, if Twitter announced that, if Facebook announced that, um, and they've committed to a million feet, a million and a half in the Hudson Yards, and they and they they have another million in downtown, and they have, you know, there were there were whispers. Will they sublease space? They don't have to, but maybe they will. Yeah. Maybe Google will. They have two, three million square feet. Yeah. Um, and then everyone below that. Are they going to need space? We have a lot of startup companies that we work with that work that went from 5,000 to 10,000 square feet. And now we were in the market for 15,000. Yeah. Now they're telling us we need to figure out how to survive. Right. So, so we, the, it went from expansion to how to survive in two months. Right. Um, and how to survive, a.k.a. now they had, had 10,000 square feet. Maybe how do we survive with 3,000 square feet? Maybe right. we can give, sublease our space out. Yeah. Right. And okay. then so those people that have the 10,000 square feet, um, you know, uh, may, maybe they're going to sublease half the space. Right. Because if for whatever reason and people in tech, it's finance and tech in, in, in real estate, in commercial real estate. Those were the two leaders. Tech was the, for the first time peered its head out as the leader because, yep. you know, New York City is, was forever the financial capital of the world. And then tech overtook that for the first time in the past uh, 12, 18, uh, 24 months with all these big transactions. Um I think tech is going to be contracting the most, actually. Yep. Uh, let's they talk about learn. WeWork. They just learned how to work from home effectively. I mean, that's what they're effectively doing right now. Yeah. They're comfortable with that. You know, and so is that, does that mean 50%, 25% of the sure. space they don't need? Does that mean 50%? Right. And if they have a big enough balance sheet and enough cash flow, um, they can sublease space that they rented for 75 for 30 bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so now the landlord who needs 70 bucks is competing with 35 bucks a foot. It's uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah. That's tough. So, so we saw the same thing in 2009 and now I had deja vu this morning where I was just like, Holy shit. You know, in, in Avenue American Morgan Stanley had 20,000 square feet. I'll never forget this. And there were two people occupying 20,000 square feet. <laughs> two people. Guess what? It's the same today. Oh, they my goodness. They don't need. You can have uh, a WeWork on 29th Street at 100,000 square feet. 100,000 square feet. Guaranteed. Uh, and you saw the article. They were once a $47 billion behemoth and now $2.5 billion. You know. In 100,000 square feet, there's probably 20 people or 50 people. Unreal. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So it's crazy to think about. And how fast are all these tech startups able to, you know, how, you know, how quickly will tech go? And J.P. Morgan Chase, I have a lot of friends that work at J.P. Morgan. They're, they're hanging out until September, October, November. Same yeah. as... Facebook 2020 for office going back to the 
uh, actual physical office is still up in the air, it's definitely not the summer. Yeah. So then what does that do to demand? Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, and the trends are definitely a little startling, and especially if you're a building owner that's a little over leveraged, that could be a problem. Uh, but a lot of New York City buildings, a lot of the top ones are legacy owned or they've been owned forever yeah. or, or they've been underwritten relatively conservatively. So the buildings will likely not go down, but the pro- the rents will probably go 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 down and the, the beneficiaries out of this will probably be the companies that have money that is open to take more space. And yeah. they could probably capture a little bit lower in terms of the price per square foot basis. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a uh, lot of small and medium sized companies. Yeah. Yeah. And then for, you know, for, on the sales front for you, I mean, you own retail, uh, yeah. you, you manage, you invest in other, other office space. Sure. Uh, what, what are you seeing on the retail front? Oh my God. Retail Lord help us. Okay. <laughs> this is the hardest, uh, toughest question. So I, was conser- I've always been a conservative investor and purchaser of real estate, always. Our threshold was always um, 15 to 20% below market. Yeah. Okay. When retail, uh, when I first, a couple of properties that I acquired, um, they met those thresholds for that environment. That you know thing? But when retail's rent kept going, 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 right? and you still have a conservative threshold and then retail rents plummet, you could have been as conservative as you wanted in the peak and not have done any business, uh, which now it's sort of like, well, maybe, you know, cash in the bank, uh, you know, versus growth. Yeah. Uh, five years ago, uh, you know, may have been better, but if I didn't buy then uh, that asset class, then I would have bought something else. And then right. you, you just never know how it, but retail is going through a cleansing and it started two years ago. This just pushed everyone over any weak uh, business models, any week, it just exacerbated that exas- exacerbated that yeah. significantly. Mm-hmm. Macy's today is warned that they're going to take a $1.1 billion loss for Macy's was hurting forever. They were hurting for, 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 for the last eight years. Yeah, uh, yeah. since the last downturn. Um, uh, you know, JCPenney is, you know, chapter 11. They've been hurting for a while. So it's, it's sort of just like fan the flames. Uh, online shopping is doing better. Um, uh, Amazon is all-time high. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, so interestingly enough, in 2008, and in uh, 20, uh, 2020, McDonald's, Popeyes, Chick-fil-A, yeah. Taco Bell. I mean, people laugh, but Taco Bell, the drive throughs are packed. There's a line. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's great. So that sort of really refined business model, they now have to pay Grubhub. For delivery sure but that core business of you rather own a subway franchise and now i don't know about subways in general but you, it's better to own a subways than a steakhouse right and that has been proven time and time again um and now i got to think about it i got you know so from now on we got to make sure that we have mcdonald's not you know white tablecloth right right um no, because, no more brand name restaurants or sit down dinner type places 
but yeah. something that's a little bit more scalable during the coronavirus environment. So it's a good time to look at the businesses that the dollar stores are doing well. The coin laundromats are doing well. Oh yeah. Um, so, but, but mostly the retail shopping going to Ralph Lauren, which I love uh, going into, you know, Zara going into anything on Broadway and Soho. I mean, you walk down in Broadway, Soho in January and February, it, it was still a ghost town. Now, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Um, I, I feel bad. I mean, I feel terrible for what, yeah. think about think about the the J Crews that just declared bankruptcy. Oh, the J Crew, yeah. How much square footage on Fifth Avenue do they have? You know, yeah. in Broadway, how much square footage do they have? Same with Uniqlo. How yeah. much square footage do they have on Fifty uh, Fifty Sixth Street? Yeah, at Six 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 Fifth Avenue, or you yeah. know, in Soho. I mean, Uniqlo has so much space. I mean, it's yeah. it's a terrible terrible place to be in right now uh i know you i know you're busy i don't want to take up all of your time here uh last question yeah you know what are your three most pressing issues facing new yorkers in life and work today okay first and foremost today 2020 uh you know we're rounding out may and we're gonna head into the holiday weekend um first things first is health and mental health and health Yes. Right. Definitely. This has exacerbated the financial weakening, but also anyone that had emotional problems or mental issues, this is completely pushing them uh, towards the edge. And, 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 you know, so that in general, you got to do things to, to keep your health, physical health and your mental health as best as possible and really take care of yourself in those two aspects. Are you saying that? Because this will end. Right. So if you don't do well being isolated and, but you don't have a choice, let's say you are elderly in your 60s, 70s, 80s, you can't go out, but you got to figure out a way uh, to keep engaged. You have to figure out a way to try to speak to family. If you can't, then you got to speak to, uh, you know, governmental agencies that are here to help. You right. got to, you have to try your best to be as physically and mentally fit as possible for the next, for the, that's first and foremost, because without your health, without yeah. being able to go for a walk and being like, you know what, everything is fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. the tr- I'm still alive. The trees are beautiful. It's springtime here in New York. Go for a walk, chill out, go yeah. for a bike ride, go for a run. Everything's going to be fine. That's first and foremost. Everything's going to be fine. The trees are alive. The animals are here, <laughs> you know. But the health is definitely your first luxury and your last luxury. First and last. That's right. And, and I've been eating so much takeout. I, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I got to go for health is thinking of ordering all this takeout. Oh, my God. All the Grubhub and Seamless is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so that's the first. The second is then finding a way financially. You got to take care of yourself financially. Okay? You really – and and um, – and if you're and for our viewers, they're in real estate. Ego is gone. OK, you got to survive. If you're in resi, get those. Uh, I don't I don't give a shit. Get the studio one bedroom yeah. listed. Yeah. 
of you course, know, I, I, I was t- texting with friends and, you know, uh, a broker was lucky enough to sell a, a Park Avenue, you know, multi-million dollar home. Great. Right. Great. Good for them. There's 58,000 agents in New York state alone. Okay. Yes. The bottom 10, the bottom 20% were part-time anyway. They're not focused. They're not, you know, and Adelaide Polzinelli at Compass Commercial, love her. She's a partner, good, you know, mentor, also, you know, hustler. She had an article in BizNow. Uh, she was mentioned in a BizNow article. This is going to be a cleansing of agents. Don't be the agent that gets wiped out. Right. And that's really for the newer people. There is no shame in doing a studio, one bedroom, two bedroom rentals. It doesn't matter. Survival, 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 survival. A thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars now. How can you do that today? That is the survivorship. Right. And then you go when you go bigger, the CEOs, the team leaders, the team captains. You got to, you know, give the structure. And as a team, try to rebuild that camaraderie, that sort of, um, we can do it, cut, you're cutting expenses, you may have to cut office space, you may have to forelow, you may have to let people go, but the survivorship of the team and the survive, there's no ego, it doesn't matter if you're a team of one now, or a team of 30, it doesn't matter. You gotta you gotta put on the thinking cap and survivorship of the team, survivorship of the company. But you can't go home, be relaxed. You have to be able to know and, and give yourself goals. I need one exclusive, I need five exclusives. And there are landlords that need your help. There are uh, people that need your help. Help them. Switch the model and then express that. Uh, and then the third is more, a lot more or less about, um, keeping your spirits up. Sure. That's it. Just keeping your spirits up. Stay Hang out, family time, virtual happy hours, uh, barbecues, <laughs> you know, we're slowly coming back, you know? Yes. Um, you know, uh, for you, I know you're being, I, I don't know if the slopes are open. I don't, are they open? Before. No, they closed oh, a long okay. time ago, but we still hiked it. We still hiked the mountains in snow. Okay. So go hiking. Yeah. Go figure it out. I have friends that are like, Hey, we got, you know, we're going to go to the Jersey shore. I'm like, is that like, did we all get, Wait. can anyone get a COVID test? Did that open? <laughs> did it? Did the, I know the beach is open, but did it open in Jersey? I guess the boardwalk is open. Parts of it, yeah. Uh, you know, so they're like, Hey, let's do it. And so this isn't, you know, I'm trading, Paris trips and Italy trips for New Jer- the Jersey Shore. <laughs> no ego, no more ego. I don't give a damn, you know. Yeah, who cares? Uh, who cares? And so then, doing those kinds of things keep keep the social aspect alive. Don't let every you know, and just do what you got to do to keep your spirits up. Yeah, you know, uh, organize a uh, uh, organized uh, uh, Netflix group watch. You know, yeah, something. Uh, virtual happy hours. Uh, you know, a friend of mine just got her master's in Colombia and has to pump herself up because there's no, uh, you know, commencement ceremony. Right. You know, but she got her master's in an Ivy League. So you gotta, you gotta take, and you gotta, but you gotta pump yourself up. 
you know? You got to celebrate. And, and if you do those things, then everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay, you know? Um, but you take care of yourself and then everything will be fine. But don't, you know, the small business is will lead to the big business. Yeah, so yeah. Th- those are three really good points you just mentioned there. You know, obviously, health is your first and last luxury. Your finances are very important. It's your business. Run it. Be humble. And again, yeah. the third is, is you know, have fun. And, and obviously, COVID sucks, but you got to keep your mental, uh, your psychology, yeah. and your mental energy up. Have so. fun. Yeah, you know? those, are, those are really good three points. Listen, Chris, I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's been about yeah. an hour since you jumped on, so we got to let you go. Uh, again, if you're listening, follow Chris at Chris Okada on Instagram, Chris Okada on Facebook and tw- Twitter, and then on LinkedIn, Christopher Okada. I appreciate your time, Chris. All Thank right. you, and I can't wait Thank to you. see you in person. And uh, Yeah, I can't okay. wait to have some beers. Yeah, we'll do this over there by compasses. I'll, I'll, I'll have you over again. We'll have some scotch, some whiskey. Let's do it. Around the office, hang out again. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can get back to in doing that sooner rather than later. Eventually. So, Eventually. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you for listening to The Real thank Talk. You. Thank Chris, you. Thank okay. you for coming on.